Hey, this is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. And this week, I'm joined in studio by Grant Shee, who is the CIO of National DCP. That's a multi-billion dollar supply chain business. Pretty timely conversation. I asked Grant to bring his 25 plus years of experience in executive management and leadership in the IT industry to join me for a conversation about how does he create value? How does he help his team create value for themselves, for their customers, for their shareholders? And he introduced this idea to me, or spent some time teasing it out anyway, about how by instilling guardrails, you actually give tremendous freedom to your team. It's a fascinating concept, and Grant articulated it very well. He also spent time talking about this idea of wake, W-A-K-E, kind of like what a boat makes when it moves through the water. By creating mass or applying mass, you can create wake in front of you, behind you, and to the left and to your right, and sometimes with unintended consequences. For those of you who have attempted to dock their boat for the first time, as I have, up at the fuel dock, it's a great conversation. Grant is well qualified to talk about it, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's about 45 minutes. Please join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Grant She, CIO, National DCP. Did I nail that right? You did. Yes. Woo! What is the National DCP? The National DCP is a two billion dollars supply chain cooperative that serves currently the franchises of Duncan and all things supply chain related. So we source and procure all the goods that make up the Duncan franchises. Uh, do the uh, order fulfillment and then the delivery to the actual you know, ten thousand Duncan stores across the globe. So let me ask you something very serious. I just was on a little mini vacation with some friends and a couple of them that were there had a little sabbatical because they didn't have chips for their Nissan cars, <laughs> which a long supply chain conversation ensued. And as I've talked to other people that are related to supply chain, whether in my industry or other industries, there's a lot of Concern, I think, would be the right word. Are you guys dealing with similar, maybe not chips for coffee, but similar things? Or does supply chain seem to be normalizing post-pandemic? No, I, I don't think we're immune to the effects of supply chain ripples throughout the globe. Uh, it's a challenge, right, David? There's a, a lot going on in our world today. Um, mm. And I think a lot of it is people are starting to either come to a realization or start to divert from um, some of the traditional roles and jobs and activities that you know used to populate our industry yeah. and that's just making it more challenging to get everything done yeah. uh, whether it's producing chips in computers or whether it's producing um, you know flavors uh, of uh, of in food right. and in, in distribution uh, getting truck drivers you know that you can go down the list there's shortages everywhere and I think we've got to be challenged to think about things differently not just in terms of how we serve uh, our customers, but also in what we're asking our employees to do. Right. I, I, as CIO, are you involved in the supply chain conversation? I, I'm sure you are, at least indirectly. But directly, does that come into play in your organization or does that live somewhere else in the organization? No, I think our organization runs pretty lean when it comes to our mission and our purpose. And mm. so uh, it takes all of us acting, I believe, as executives first, and then as leaders in our respective functional areas as a secondary measure. Uh -huh. you know, And I, I think you and I have talked about this, Dave. It's so important for an enterprise or an organization to be mission-focused, yeah. and you've got to get everyone in that organization to align and understand what that mission is. Right. And you know, our mission, quite candidly, is not to have the world's best IT team. Mm. If I have that, great. Right. But my mission really is, you know, I need to serve our members in a way that's most cost effective, has consistent service delivery, mm -hmm. and allows uh, these franchise owners to operate their businesses. Yeah. And anything that we do to support that is great. And anything that we do that hurts that is not our mission. Yeah. We, you know, it's funny. We, um, you reminded me, we had a conversation earlier this summer, a brief one, <clears throat> uh, where I wouldn't be quiet. But one of the things I talked about was in the military, they have this, the big ideas of mission accomplishment and troop welfare. I mean, the, everything's sort of guided by those two big things and they do it within certain uh, 
parameters as a member of the Geneva Convention. We, you know, we here's how you legally uh, operate as a military according to those rules. And for us personally as a country, it's these two big ideas, true uh, welfare and mission accomplishment. When you and I talked and I had wanted to talk about technology and not an uncommon conversation I have with CIOs, which I'm fascinated with, with how they're using technology and how they're adapting. You're like, you know, that's interesting. And we can spend some time talking about that. But really what's as interesting, if not more interesting to me, is before I talk about that, is this idea of we could use a number of different words, mission, alignment, purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, as you just mentioned it, as an executive caught your imagination a lot more and it was something that you felt was um, as important post-pandemic as it's ever been, if not more important. So what do you, I guess let's start off with, what do you mean by that as an executive trying to line out purpose, alignment, mission? When, when you're articulating that to your organization, what does that mean? Yeah, great question, Dave. Well, first, I think what you touched on was uh, we live in a period where technology is not only ever evolving, but it's objectively getting better. Right? Mm -hmm. It's getting faster. It's getting lower cost in some cases. It's getting more functionality. It's doing things that were unimaginable several years ago, and mm -hmm. it's continuing to surprise us. Uh, I think the challenge for us as a society is I don't know if our ability to consume that technology, at least in a responsible way, mm -hmm. is keeping pace with how fast technology is innovating. Yeah. And so to me, an enterprise that does technology for technology's sake is playing a pretty dangerous game. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you're not doing something that is driving towards a shared vision or a shared alignment of a mission, then you're probably going against what your purpose is to serve. Mm -hmm. And so that technology is helping you divert from that path a lot faster than you probably used to. And so the organization or the entity can be off course a lot more efficiently with the improper use of technology than ever before. So holding that concept in mind, you know, I think for me, uh, getting an organization aligned and being a leader or an executive in this case of that vision is of critical importance because you want to give people purpose. Um, I think we all go into an, a situation, a job, an organization, your family, whatever it is, wanting to fulfill some sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we do things that aren't aligned with that purpose, I think that's when we get resentment, that's when we get burnout, that's when we get fatigue. And you, know, the, you, you don't wanna see that. And as a leader, you don't want an entire organization of people who feel that way, because mm -hmm. then you're gonna spend your days and your times replacing people yeah. and not serving your mission. I want to come back and talk about people in a second, but as you're sitting there talking, it reminds me of um, my own personal experiences, having been in tech for I, too long to say. Um, but it seems like there are two, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, leadership sort of styles that I, I would end up serving over. The, I've never been a CIO, but I've been a leader in um procurement and in uh, adoption, and I've led different operational groups anyway, and uh, business groups, uh, sales groups. And either it is, I'm in an industry or in a um, organization that's like, look, we don't want to, we don't like a lot of change. So we don't want to, this is an older philosophy, but we don't want to have a bunch of interruption. Adding tech, unless absolutely necessary with a long runway, it's very scary. There's mm -hmm. probably nothing scarier to our customers than to say, hey, change management notice. We're going to be, especially in the data center business, I'm taking down these electronic uh, sources and you're going to be on standby power and maintenance mode um, for the next hours or days while we upgrade or whatever, right? It just, it's terrifying to them. Sure. I get it. And so they don't want a lot of change. On the other hand, how do we get more efficient? How do we get faster? How do we, these other things. And so there's a lot of pressure to whether that's managing headcount, not necessarily reducing, but managing headcount. If I just added 500 more cameras to my data center, I don't want to add three, you know, 80 more guards to manage those. I want technology to help me sure. with the staff that I've got. How do you have a conversation with an organization, whether they're in the 
we need to pull them along mode or they oh, slow down. How is this serving our purpose mode? How do you keep, before we get to the teams and the people, the organization aligned with, are we doing something that's getting us towards purpose and alignment or are we just adopting things for the sake of adopting things? Yeah, uh, that's where I've long held this view that every organization should go through an exercise to determine your actual menu of services. Mm. So trying to figure out what is it that you are expected to serve and what is it that you're going to get rewarded on serving, what's valued by mm -hmm. you. Um, and so in the grandest sense, you know, as an entire organization, what is your purpose, right? If you really, you know, you're a QTS employee, mm -hmm. um, QTS has a purpose, QTS has a value mm -hmm. uh, to your customers and marketplace. I would hope that that exercise has been done at some level where you look at the things you're capable of and what people expect. Mm -hmm. And if you think about your typical four box matrix, you have things that you're really good at mm -hmm. that people want you to be good at and expect. Great. Keep doing those things. Mm -hmm. Then you have a quadrant where people want you to be good at it, but objectively speaking, maybe you're not. Right. Maybe you're not optimal. Maybe you don't have that capability. Maybe you have to outsource it. So those are things you have to make those decisions on to say, do we get better at that, knowing there's a demand for it, knowing people expect and value that? Do we grow it? Do we buy it? You know, but clearly there's a delta and a gap there. Then there's things that you might do really well, perhaps be the best in the world, but no one values it. Right. And so if you look at a literal like restaurant example, if someone is really known for steaks and all of a sudden they introduce fish and your public doesn't trust that or doesn't want to have fish from your restaurant, right. then you might have the world's best fish cook or right. fish chef. Right. But if no one wants it, then you continuing to push that probably isn't a good idea. This is how I can tell you haven't been to restaurants with my wife in quite a while. <laughs> she hasn't said fish in probably 30 years. And we just <laughs> ate fish last night. She says seafood. Got or it. she names the specific fish. Okay. She would be flinching right now. It would be so funny. I'm, I'm being too rudimentary for her. Yes. <laughs> She'd be like, what are we talking about? Fish sticks? You haven't yeah. had fish since you were three, David. I, I'm using hooked on phonics terminology <laughs> for her, so I apologize. Yeah. It's all bad. And I'll bet you your wife, who I know also, would be like, come on, Grant. I've taught you better than that. That's but anyway. right. That's right. My level of sophistication is uh, temporarily gone down. <laughs> right. You're right there yeah. with me. I, I'm, I'm resonating, but no, yes. but yeah, the, the last the last area would be there's things that uh, you're not good at and people don't expect to be good at. And right. so oftentimes the trap there is organizations, individuals try to improve in those areas and they're doing it for no purpose because that's not that's not what people want. But, you know, yes, I agree. Here's where it gets tricky, where I've seen it get tricky. And it is let's use your steakhouse analogy. Notice you said steak and not meat. I like that because you gave the <laughs> correct um, uh, well, At least they got one thing yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but you have the sharpest, best steak knives, right? So it's, it's core to what you're doing. People expect when they show up at your facility to um, – it's easy for me. Not only is it easy for me to use a steak knife, it might lend itself to look at how – tender our steaks are because my knives go right through them, right? Whereas if you had the equal tender steak, but you had really crummy knives, when you go to cut it, it may imply that the meat's not tender enough mm -hmm. or it's not whatever, right? They're not going to pay extra for a really sharp knife, but it is, um, it is bringing value. We find that in our industry where we've built tools to make it easier for people to manage their environments, to make business decisions. We've, we're moving from analytics into um, uh, to automation and into uh, taking machine learning and artificial intelligence. And our backend infrastructure, we've got the largest buyers on earth in here. They manage very large environments, environments that used to be the size of data centers, bigger than data centers even 20 years ago. And so they have these within a big core data center. And it is an interesting conversation that we're having with them about, on the one hand, how much would you pay for these enhancements for augmented reality that we've already deployed, for virtual reality we've already deployed that they can do on their phones or whatever. And it's this interesting table stake. No, I, or they're reluctant to pay extra 
but it is absolutely a differentiator. And so it's a ongoing dynamic conversation within our organization about how do we develop? What do we make available? What do we charge for? What are we known for? After all, they're looking for space and power mm-hmm. and reliability and operational maturity. But this, so it's this interesting thing back to kind of the steak knives. Uh, how, how do you work through that, your organization, when you're talking about alignment and mission accomplishment and making sure we're focusing on the things that are going to bring us value and a return, but you might not be able to charge for? Well, I think you're speaking to <clears throat> what, <clears throat> how do you define your, your value? Is it the experience? Is it the end result? Or is it the process that you value? Yes. And, you know, you're talking about really good steak knives alluding to tools right. in the corporate sense, right? If we right. have really fancy tools or technologies or solutions or capabilities, is that the thing that's going to drive value for those around us, not just our customers, but our employees, our troops? Right. Uh, and so I think each team has to have an honest look and say, hey, we're so proud of our tools and we think this is such a valuable part of the experience. We should really get behind it and be right. intentional and say, Part of why you want to come to my steakhouse is because you get to use this one-of-a-kind fancy knife. Right. But don't kid yourself. If that really isn't something that you believe in, right. if that's not the thing that you want to be known for, then I would leave it as be and say that's a great anecdote. But people come because they want to experience this steak, this right. meal, and they just happen to right. also have this really cool knife to use. Yeah. But I'm not going to lead with that. And I think the organizations that don't get that right are often seen as the ones that are either duplicitous or perhaps um, misleading to their public or to their customers, and they start to get bad brand reputation and people start to talk. Mm-hmm. And in this world today where opinions are so easily shared, you know, that can be very damning for an organization to to go go through. Yeah, I, um, I agree. You know, it's uh, we were talking about coffee before we came on the show without naming any organizations. For sure the taste of it is very important. I'm a horrible example though, because I have, I live with coffee snobs and tea snobs. I learned to drink coffee when I was in the military and it's pretty much, you know, I can go up here to the Chevron and be happy with coffee, but I will deliberately avoid places. If when I get my coffee cup, it's too freaking the, the cup's too thin. Or the lid doesn't click on correctly. And this sounds crazy, but it's true when I, especially when I go on trips, um, because I use my mug kind of locally, but when I go on trips and I pull, I will choose what national chain I'm going to pull into based upon, is that cup easy to hold? Is it going to hold the temperature? Because I'm not going to stop for three more hours. Is the lid, I'm not going to take a sip and worry is it's doggone lid not going to stay snapped shut. Now, my first few experiences, it might be, oh, I heard they've got good coffee or, hey, I've got I've heard they've got good coffee. But more often than not, I will go to first what's easy. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. Is it easy? Do I expect that when I pull in there, I'm going to get a pretty standard level of service? I at least know what it's going to be. And two, is the experience going to be when they're going to have the coffee? And when I hold this thing or use this thing, I will avoid something that maybe is a little bit better known or a little bit better, more flavor. But I know I'm going to have a more consistent personal experience. When you evaluate, do you evaluate that at all in this discussion? Oh yeah, absolutely. And what you're speaking to is we all have our own valuation system. Okay. Uh, you know, if I think hearing you talk about that clearly for you, the notion of going through that morning routine and starting your day with a cup of coffee mm-hmm. uh, is very important to you. And there's a certain set of Not expectations. It's almost religious. That's yes. right. There's a certain set of expectations that you have, though. So you've just outlined what your criteria are for a good experience. Yeah. Now, notice you never mentioned the quality of the coffee bean, how temperature it was brewed out, how much sugar or cream you put in it. The consumption of that coffee mm-hmm. uh, to you, it sounds like, is a little less important than the experience of procuring that and representing the start of your day and being able to get in your car and, you know, go through a drive-through quickly and efficiently. So all that adds up for you, Dave, as part of that experience and part of that religious movement every day. Uh, And I think for a lot of people, that's true. And, uh, you know, coffee is an interesting thing because it represents, even though it's a product, as you just described, it represents something that is a large part of people's mornings and routines and nights and 
just their livelihoods. Well, my people that are resonating with this conversation right now also pour it down the front of them <laughs> because we have the magnetic ability to whatever we're putting towards I too our am face. a sloppy eater and drinker, so I understand. So I just need the mechanism to where that's, that's higher up on the stack. But anyway, so as you help organizations align on purpose or even just have that conversation, I mean, is there a lot of pushback? Is this particularly sophisticated? Because it seems like I mean, everybody from a church to a public or private entities usually has, here's our mission statement. Here's our what we believe. Here's how we're going to, you know, our, our, our credo, our, our way that we measure ourselves in a very simple public way. It would seem that it's self-evident, but from our previous conversation, um, maybe not so much. I think we have a tendency as people to perhaps, number one, be lazy about talking about difficult things. Mm. And what I mean by that is uh, we all have different definitions, as we just said. Your mm -hmm. coffee experience may or may not be very different than what a good coffee experience for me might be. Mm -hmm. And so in an organization, we yes, we all look at the same words on a wall and the same mission statement um, on, the, on the letterhead of, of company stationery and, and banners. But we probably have different definitions of what that means to us. Mm. And in an organization, traditionally, that's driven by metrics, that's driven by a set of rewards and um, you know, punishments for certain behaviors or lack mm -hmm. of behavior. I'm not sure those are always aligned to a mission statement. Mm -hmm. right? Mission statements are written with proper prose and poetry, and they look good mm -hmm. uh, to stakeholders and mm -hmm. use the right words. And a lot of money and time and research is spent into picking you know, phrases that are understandable and non-offensive. But is that same amount of time applied to the employees to say, here's what we really mean by it. And here's what it means to you individually as people in this organization and what you should do with that information. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I'm not sure we collectively uh, spend enough time really dissecting that. Mm. And it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do because you're trying to say, how does this mission statement align to every level in the organization? To the, the, you know, the highest, uh, your CEOs of the world, to uh, the people who come in and do you know, custodial services. Mm -hmm. They're all important, mm -hmm. but how do you get it to align to one or two sentences that we broadcast as our brand to the world? Mm. And it takes work to mm. figure that out. I think if you really think about it, not only can you better define it, but you may end up finding out that a large part of your organization, uh, we talked about doing technology for technology's sake, mm -hmm. some organizations do XYZ for XYZ's sake. Mm -hmm. And because it feels like it's the right thing, but mm -hmm. maybe it's not actually serving the purpose. And so I go back to, if you have an honest menu of services look, if you do that analysis, you may find that a lot of folks in your company, your entity, your organization are there doing things that don't actually serve the purpose of the organization or perhaps are things that just the customer or your end user, your stakeholders aren't valuing. Mm. And that's when you have to make tough decisions to say, do we continue to invest in that? Do we continue to make that a big part of what we do? Or do we choose to take our resources and everyone has some limit of resources and deploy them in an area where we can make a difference, where we can make the biggest impact to our mission and to our purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think sometimes those honest conversations, we, we don't want to have them because they are tough. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's not, um, yes, I agree. Um, it, it, here's where, and we've talked about this before, there's two big areas I think that um, my personal experience, this is non-scientific, it's just very specific to me, but I'll bet it resonates. One is this idea of pretense, which I feel like if you could eliminate that from pretty much anything. I just heard a guy the other day say, it was Jordan Peterson, of all people, talking to Russell Brand, of all people, who, who knew that this stage in light, I would just kind of happen to come across this conversation, Russell Brand being this comedian who's gotten sober and very interesting person to listen to. Um, not my normal rotation, but it came across my desk. And it was about, Jordan Peterson was saying, live what he's trying to do right now and has been for the last several years to, to live a very 
honest, and you would think most of us would be one honest, but a very honest and direct way, whatever the consequences, which he said is not an excuse for what they call brutal honesty or impolite or rudeness or whatever, but not to live in what I would call pretense. So if I'm at a C-suite, we're laying out a purpose and alignment and, and um, people are sitting around a table with a leader, a chairman of the board or a um, chief executive officer or a president or whatever, some, some leader, military, the commander, and we leave that table supposedly aligned and understanding the purpose only to get back to our units. And I don't mean we misunderstood because that's pretty easily adjusted usually. But I mean, I really didn't buy in, but I didn't want to say something at that table. I'm now back either at the macro or in a micro. I'm a, I'm a middle manager or even a worker bee. But generally it's higher than middle manager. I've seen this over and over. And they... Well, you know, they're, they're in pretense. They're not going to publicly say they're going to privately, at least to their team or their small group, that the consequence of that can, can so impact your alignment, in my experience, that what appears to be, look, we just don't do this well, isn't really you don't do it well. It's that everybody wasn't on board. So part of that evaluation process has to be. Are we all working to our ability? Are we all aligned? Are we all rowing and doing this thing? Because you could be, you could make sure, yeah, our destination is that location and every third rower isn't bought in and you right. There's a difference between skill. I've got the ability to match the cadence as opposed to my will, which is I think we're doing it wrong. I need to steer sure. it's a little bit different. So how do you work through pretense, not necessarily although we could talk about that as well, in your direct reports, in your direct organization, they have a lot more control over, but in that sort of peer level. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's two ways to look at that scenario. The first is, in your example, the person who walks away from that initial meeting and goes back to his or her team to relay that message and give their own opinions of it, right. to say, this is what we decided, but here's what I really think. Right. That happens all too often. And so you look at that and you go, is there something up with that person? Mm -hmm. Do they have an agenda or a purpose that might be different than the organizations? What caused them to not buy into it? Is it because they want to set the agenda? Is it because they had their own ideas? And then you wonder, why wasn't that brought up in the initial discussion? Courage. For them. Correct. Experience. Correct. Because there's a set of expectations that you follow. And I think that's what gets people in trouble. Mm -hmm. And, you know... It takes individuals' courage and takes individuals having those tough conversations to either say, hey, I don't understand what's being asked of me, my team, or I don't agree with what's being asked my team because if I read that mission statement on the wall, mm -hmm. I'm not sure this decision falls in line with that. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps it's a, hey, I never agreed right. <laughs> to that mission statement on the wall. So I think those types of conversations need to be had earlier mm -hmm. and more often and in a more open and candid manner. Mm -hmm. Now, the other half to look at is the leader who either wrongfully or presumptively believes that when I say something, people will then carry that message as I intended forward. Mm -hmm. I think you have to question that leader and what environment he or she sets mm -hmm. to say, if that's actually happening in an organization or an entity, whatever your example is, Am I recognizing that that is happening mm -hmm. and what am I doing about it? So am I calling it out and saying, now, if you don't agree with what we're saying here, mm -hmm. if you are using pretense to nod your head to get out of this meeting, but then you're going to go do your own thing, that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think a good leader looks at a situation and has the foresight to recognize what I'm about to say or ask may be met with resistance, doubt, um, alternative ideas. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that, I need to stop and say, here's my expectation. Mm -hmm. If you have a challenge with that, we're going to take the time now to sort through that. Mm -hmm. Or we say, hey, this is what I think the right thing is. Bring it back to your teams, question it, play with it, come mm -hmm. back with alternatives, and let's discuss again. Mm -hmm. I think the foolish leader is the one that says, Either I don't know or I don't want to accept the fact that what I'm saying may not be bought in 100%, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to hope and pray and trust that 
because of my awesome leadership, people are just going to go do it. Right. And I, th I think it really is taking that step back. And this is developed through experience and, mm -hmm. and just general knowledge of your field to say what I'm asking for, what I'm proposing may bring with it either some controversy or some not quite 100% buy-in. Mm -hmm. And so to recognize that and be self-aware and say, hey, I, I think I know what you're feeling and thinking. Let me validate that. And if that's true, I want to call it out. And what can we do to make sure that we have the right answer? Because again, if your purpose and mission is to fulfill what your enterprise stands for, mm -hmm. there should be a way to say, do we all agree that's what we're here for? And do we all agree this is the best way to achieve it, even if it means personal cost to some people, mm -hmm. right? Because unless your mission is, hey, everyone here gets to do what they want, mm -hmm. then you're fulfilling your mission by having all these back channels and, and pretenses because right. everyone's doing their own thing. Yeah. But I don't know many companies who actively put that on their letterhead and say, we're just going to let everyone do what they want. Yeah. That's usually not any entity's mission. It, well, if it is, they don't last very long. That's right. Generally speaking, unless they're, you know, um, you're the only one with the serum that cures the world or something. <laughs> sure. I, it, it seems to me that the art comes into it because a lot of people listening would probably say, yeah, Grant, we agree with you, which is that um, and, and whether we're talking about, in this case, a CEO and their reports or um, a, a middle manager and, and their reports or whatever, which is. How do I make sure first that, and I think we, we do this well, understand the mission and, um, and, and work it through to everybody, whether they agree that it's the best way to do it, they understand what's being asked of them. They usually leave the table or the communication saying, yeah, got it, whether they, whether they believe it's the right thing and that's how they're going to execute it or they believe in their ability to do it, different things. But then this, the art to me is, Almost when, how do you do the evaluation of, of your report, whether that's a, you know, a CEO of their C-suite and of their reports almost without, without um, kind of a witch hunt mentality, right? Where we're double checking it. Like it's a, the military I've, doesn't always do this perfectly, but I think they generally do it best. Um, I love um, the nuke program in the Navy, which seems to do this really, really well. We hire a lot of people out of that program. They're really good at what's our mission, what's the standard operating procedures, what's the methods of procedure, what's the emergency operation procedures. How do I evaluate myself, my team against, and it's very specific, so this is almost unfair, but against these very specific parameters, how do I ingest, ingest new technology and is it solving a purpose? How do I um, exit old technology? And oh, by the way, any of this stuff could, you know, make glass for a hundred miles in every direction. Um, and how do I know enough about my neighbor's job to the left of me and to the right of me um, so that I can I can evaluate in an emergency? I can help um, cover them, and in a non-emergency, I can evaluate whether we're all sort of we all understand what we're doing without it feeling like it's a witch hunt. Like I'm constantly like, why are you checking on me? Of course we would. This is a, this is a serious thing. We want to make sure we're not vulnerable. That seems to be more often the exception than the norm in, um, it is the norm in, um, corporations in whatever period of time, maybe it's their whole lifetime, but sustained when they're really successful. Um, but it seems to, when we were talking, it just caught my imagination the first time about, look, this is one of the most important things, especially as an executive, excuse me, the way you described it, not just a CIO, before I get to technology, before I get to supply chain, before I get to these other things, equally important is this, am I aligned? Do I understand our purpose? Does the organization, am I helping my peers and my core executives understand it? And are we having healthy conversations to support the mission? And then am I able to convey that to my team and make sure I and my team stay? Um, and so I'm just curious, what's your experience as you navigate through that? I think it's uh, what you're really talking about is we need to assess our talent. Right. We need to assess our team. We need to assess the individuals around us. And that assessment methodology for me is everyone has a character quotient and a competency quotient. Mm. And so 
when I look at someone's character, I need to be able to assess what's your intention, right? Are you bought in? Are you the kind of person who puts mission before self? Are you the kind of person that puts others before you? And there's no right or wrong answer, but there is a way to evaluate where is this person going to fall in those measurements in those spectrums? Mm -hmm. What can you depend on them for, right? When, when all else is equal, do they kind of do their own thing mm -hmm. or do they default to saying even at my own cost and sacrifice, I believe in this purpose more and so I will do that. Mm -hmm. um, if it's the right answer, I don't get credit for it. Will they still execute something? Will right. they still be an advocate of it? That's kind of someone's character quotient. And then you look at someone's competency and that's their ability to execute on those intentions. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people have very high character or character that's aligned to your mission and they have the competency to get it done and that's great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have the high character but low competency. That's coachable, mm -hmm. right? Because you've, you've got the intention and maybe you're just missing the skills or the experiences and that's where as a leader, if you can assess and identify that, you know what to do to help them. Mm -hmm. The more challenging things are the ones where people's characters, and we shouldn't use high and low as an mm -hmm. assessment, that's not fair, but if the character's not aligned with what you need or what your organization needs, then regardless of how high or low their competency is or what things they're good at, what their expertise and capabilities are, it may be a lot tougher for you to say, hey, I, I really need you to somehow find it in yourself to take these great skills you have and use them in the right manner and use them in the most efficient manner in a way that's aligned with what I'm asking or our organization is asking us to do. Mm. That's a tougher boulder to move, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but as a leader and as someone trying to navigate these things, the art, as you put it, I think is really an ability to assess every individual uh, that you have in your organization, on your teams, that you bring in, that you decide and, and surround yourself with to work with and depend on. You know, if you look at it as what is this person's character and what is this person's competence mm -hmm. and understand it, does that fit for what it is you're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. I think to me, that's, that's the art and that we got to spend more time getting good at that and figuring out our own valuation system for that. Well, you're talking, um, you use this analogy before when you're talking about um, something like this, I've heard you say, kind of like sports. And for some reason, what popped in my brain were two, two, um, two recent examples for me are Larry Fitzgerald, the going to be Hall of Fame receiver for the Cardinals, and um, Tony Gonzalez, great uh, tight end for the Chiefs and the Falcons. So many times, Gonzalez, who could have been the all-time reception leader and, uh, and so many other stats, the team needed him to block. The team needed him to stay on uh, back. The team needed him to do, he had the talent to get free. Hey, 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 me, 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 me. But the quarterback might've been sacked. The team might've lost that down, although he might've gotten more accolades or whatever. And there are amazing, talented players out there. But I just always admired this guy who didn't just have the aptitude and the ability to, to block, but there's no glory in it. The mm -hmm. glory went to somebody else. And yet, um, he always did that. And then Fitzgerald, especially in the second part of his career, who adopted so many, not just receivers, but other members of his team, taught them how to run routes, taught them how to... Um, and they've said this over and over, his coaches, his other players, his quarterbacks, whatever... He came alongside me, taught me about work ethic, taught me about being on time, taught me about being crisp. Uh, Jerry Rice was another one of these guys. Here's how you do your job, and here's how you elevate the team around you. And sometimes that means you're not going for the glory and honor. You're breaking off something to interfere so that the team can win, and that won't show up in any stat sheet. But we're accomplishing the overall mission of the team, not your individual accolades, which is contrary to our nature. It's contrary to their contracts, how they get paid. It's contrary to that. You know, it's not, hey, you get good effort today, and so we're paying you a little bit more. And yet it makes a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, sports are a great microcosm of so much of this kind of stuff that we talk about. And to your point, Dave, yeah, those are uh, great examples of players who understood that the mission and purpose was for their teams to win, to win a championship, right, to uh, bring home titles. And it wasn't that those organizations were set up to create 
Hall of Fame receivers or Hall of Fame tight ends. That's a good byproduct mm -hmm. and a reflection of winning, mm -hmm. uh, most likely. But the purpose of those teams was not to highlight someone's individual ability to catch and make yards and score touchdowns. The purpose was to win. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being a 49er fan, I'll, I'll throw George Kittle into the mix. I okay. think he's your modern day version of that type of Tony Gonzalez tight end where more often than not, he's in there to block. And for George Kittle, if you listen to his interviews and watch him play, there's a real passion that he displays for doing that. And it's because he wants to win. Sure, he would love to, I'm sure, catch touchdowns and get more yards and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But to your point, if that's not going to help the overall mission, if that's not going to help the team achieve its goals, you know, I think that type of character display is, hey, I, I understand what I'm capable of, but I understand the most optimal use of me right now is to do this, is to block, is to coach the younger rookies, is to, uh, you know, help my teammates be better so that we collectively can be more optimal in achieving our collective mission. Yeah. I love uh, Emmett Smith. If you saw his Hall of Fame induction, it's a 49er fan. I'm sure you did. Um, where he wept at Moose Johnson, Daryl Johnson, he's like, I am not here, much less have any real success. Without his blocking fullback, yeah. Without you. And Daryl was standing there crying, grown men, which makes me cry, saying, man, I got you, brother. And in so many ways, it's, a, it's, it's not just in their job, them as human beings, them as a white guy and a black guy, them as people from different parts of the world, like in all these ways, how they came together to accomplish in their micro way, the macro of the organization, in spite sometimes of not very good leaders, in spite sometimes of other circumstances or those crafty 49ers across the, you know, the line from them. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, so. we always talk about self-awareness, but I think um, others' awareness is just as important, right? Knowing what you can accomplish, but what you need other people to do to be successful for yourself, what you need to do for other people, uh, where you can best serve. You know, I coach a lot of youth sports, and one of the big messages I push on the players is the mentality of what can I do to make my teammate better? Mm -hmm. You know, could I have thrown that ball, that pass in a way to make it easier for them to catch? Mm -hmm. um, you know, could I have uh, created a, a, a bigger running lane for them by making a block, right? Could I have, uh, you know, distracted a defender to allow them to do their job better? Mm -hmm. And so that mentality of what can I do to make someone else better also is reflected in what did someone else do mm -hmm. to make me better? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, to your point, uh, you know, we as individuals need to be much more acutely aware of our impact to the world and others, and as well as the impact of others to us. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about alignment and purpose. The other thing we've talked, you know, uh, we've talked about is people. So as you as you imagine, troop welfare is how we, they would say it in the in the service. Um, how, as an executive, as a, as a member of the C-suite, when you think about that, what does that mean? How does that resonate with you? If somebody were to be hired or consider joining your organization or to work for you directly or within your org, what is it that you would want to make sure that they um, – that they understand and how you're going to help provide troop welfare to them. I think honesty, you know, it starts with that type of candor and starts with setting that expectation that says, hey, here's the deal. We're here to serve a mission. Mm -hmm. um, that's why you're here. You know, this is not the Tony Gonzalez or George Kittle show. So mm -hmm. when you join this team, I wanted to be very clear why we're here. Mm -hmm. And here's the role I play and here's the role you play. And, you know, I think one of the things that lately I've thought a lot about are you know, the reality is there are some things that um, people, and I throw myself in that mix as well, maybe don't want your opinion on, mm -hmm. right? Either it's a project or a decision or some uh, thematic tone or strategy you're going to take. You kind of say, no, that's that's mine, mm -hmm. right? And, and we're going to do this no matter what, and I'll mm -hmm. explain the reasons why. But if I'm really being honest, I don't need feedback on it. I don't want feedback on it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times leaders use the generic, hey, I'm always, my door's open. You can talk about anything. And then you as the individual on the team say, well, I, I brought you my ideas and I brought you my concerns and opinions. And yet I feel like you blew me off. I feel like it wasn't valued. But really, if that leader were to be honest and say, Dave, um, there's 10 things that 
I could really use your help on. And those are open door and we can always talk about, but there's two things that those are kind of mine. Right. And those are things that I'm using to define my legacy or my organization. Right. And uh, whatever you think of it, you, you should probably keep to yourself right. because we're gonna do those things. Right. And so if we were honest with each other, um, and this is how I like to be with my team, I say, here, here are the two things that I'm gonna push forward on. Right. And you know, come hell or high water, we're doing them. Right. But these other 10, those legitimately, I want your opinion, we're gonna work together, et cetera. Yeah. And I think if everyone, you know, you, you were saying earlier about this transparency and candor and mm -hmm. no pretense, mm -hmm. you know, if, it, if we all took a look at ourselves and said, if I could just articulate to those around me, here's, here are the things that I want help with, here are the things I don't, here are the things I'm good at, here mm -hmm. are the things I'm not, and we correctly define, going back to that whole concept mm -hmm. of, you know, we probably don't define things the same, but if we can correctly agree on these definitions and kind of state outright, here's here's where my head's at, here's where my heart's at, here's where my character intentions are, mm -hmm. I think that would remove a lot of the angst and anxiety and the back talking and back channels and hidden agendas. Um, but it takes guts, right? It takes courage, it takes a lot of self-reflection, it takes time. And I would say not all of us or not everyone is either willing or capable to do that. And that's unfortunate, but I think it does boil down to those those simple factors. Yeah, it's, um, I was trying to think of how to, so many things popped in my head. The first one was Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I don't know that that would work um, for this. I'd go down a bunch of rabbit holes, but it reminds me of, I'm not gonna say the receiver's name, but I'm thinking of a famous wide receiver on the sidelines having a temper tantrum with their coach because they felt like they weren't getting the ball and we would the team right in this whole thing one a spectacular distraction to the team and a spectacle to the spectators and whatever entertaining i suppose to a certain degree but um it it was somebody who said look i have an individual agenda and hopefully the coach had said here's how we're going to operate an offense and here's how we're going to operate a defense and will we adjust based upon situations um, on the field? Yes. Will we adjust in the marketplace if we're gonna be a cloud-centric or we're gonna be a whatever technology group or um, an outsource or an insource, whatever it is. We have, this, we have this general philosophy based upon these things and we will adjust to market conditions. Nothing became more apparent than that than in 2020 about Marchish when your, everybody come to the office and you must get manager approval to work at home philosophy, probably for most of the world changed. Mm -hmm. And now we're figuring out how do we do that? Do we go back to that? Are we hybrid or whatever? But it had to change because of market conditions. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about I'm raising my hand and I'm, and I'm suggesting to you that this maintenance or this technology or this process or procedure, we have decided as an organization, we're not doing fish we're going to do steak and we're going to do it world class and we're going to make it easy for people to get in and we're going to make sure our steaks are aged a certain way and they're available in a price range that makes and like all these things. And if you're about that, how I can do that and my customers leave here saying, wow, I need to tell more people and I need to come back and include this as part of my anniversaries. I'm all ears. But if you're asking me, to change, to add things to the menu that we have already decided that adds too much complexity or whatever we're not going to pursue. The trick, I guess, though, is like in our industry, we used to be a co-location company primarily. And all of a sudden, in the late 2000s, people started showing up and saying, hey, I need to do business differently. I need to do leases instead of MSAs. I need massive capacity. I need things to look like this. And we had to do an evaluation to say, are we going to pursue opportunities like that? Thank God we did. But um, we had to go through that. We also, in 2018, said, which is the world I grew up in, we're an IT shop. We're a uh, dedicated um, private cloud shop. We're all these other things. And the world that that grew up in was different. There's now AWS and Azure and Google and Oracle and IBM and many others I'm sure I'm forgetting. Why would we, it doesn't make sense for us to continue doing that. Even though we have world-class employees and products and services, the world's changed and that's not our core um, focus anymore. And so we had to adjust. And I think that's 
a little bit about what you're referring to individually versus having a real talk with yourself to say, what are we about? Yeah, you brought up a number of, I think, different concepts in that. Uh, but the one of them that I was uh, resonating with is this concept of, you know, we have a strategy and yet we do something different. And if it is a one time or a, an exception, I think own it and call it out. Right. Right. And say, hey, I know I've been preaching this one thing, uh, but we went ahead and did something else. And it's an exception. And I'm, I admit that broke our right. protocol, that broke our purpose. Right. Here's why we did it. Either not proud of it or something we're not going to do. Maybe again, we're celebrating or, or it. Look, it was a, right. that's right. Yeah. Um, or we say, you know what? We we recognize we broke procedure, we broke mission or right. purpose on that. But you know what? It kind of turned out okay. Right. And so I want to explore doing it more. Maybe that is something we add to our menu of services going forward officially. Right. And again, I think being able to have those very honest conversations and being in an environment and creating an environment where it's okay to say those things and to say look, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I know I set this standard and yeah. then I know I did an exception to it and maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't. Let's evaluate it. Yeah. Right. And I, I think, you know, that that's an important element to recognize. And I think too often people ignore it mm -hmm. or they come up with excuses or they say, no, 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 this actually did fit our mission. And, you know, they, they try to connect the dots right. and it looks very, un you can feel it, right? It just looks very <laughs> unnatural. It's like, that's a, that's right. a, it's a stretch in right. terms of how that fits our, our alignment, but okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think just being honest with it and saying, look, I know this is nowhere near what we set out to do. Um, and I, and, and we own it, right? right. Like we are human, we made a mistake and sometimes that mistake works in our favor and sometimes it doesn't. And right. if it doesn't say, yeah, th this is why we have our mission, right? This right. is why we should stay focused on the things that we're good at. Right. Well, and that's also why you have, um, look, back, whether it's military or sports, you know, yes, we're a pass first. But as you saw the game the other night, a downpour or whatever, we may need to hand it off to somebody or the person who plays that skilled position may be hurt mm -hmm. or whatever it is. We yeah. have to make a, here's the logical reason why we made, or there's a too good to be true. And right. we realize this is an outlier. We don't have a supply chain for this. We don't have yeah. whatever, but with minimum risk, we're able to take advantage of an opportunity. Yeah. So let's evaluate it, which is different than to your first point, which is, Hey, come to my door and talk about everything and passionately argue against core principles we've decided. One of those is that we've decided in my organization, there are types of businesses we have decided we are not hosting in our data centers. We know there's a lot of money in it. We know that a lot of the internet runs on those services and things that people pay very good money for. For today and up to for the last 17 years, we've decided that's not what we're hosting. That's not what we're doing. That may get reevaluated, but that's it. And nobody, I'm sure in back channels, there might be a conversation or two that says, are we, is this still our policy? But it is not a, even a discussion in the rank and file and whatever. Do you know how much more we can do here? We've just decided. And I think that to your point earlier, here's the tricky part. I know we just have a few more minutes. I have two big things. One is that I want to ask you, you gave this beautiful example. Maybe we can close on that before of wake the consequence of wake. And I want you to come to that when we finish. But before that, somebody like me, who probably would love to work with somebody like you, I love no pretense and honesty. What I don't love is, I don't mean hard ass, but just, hey, here's your job. There's your seat. Here's your thing. You see our mission. I hired you at this rate because that's the going rate for a person like you with this talent. Now, if you want to talk to me about these eight things, you can get the firewall rules on better. Or you can, you, fine. But these three, no, this is the deal. We're not changing Wednesday meetings. We're not doing these other things. Okay, I've been honest with you. Good luck. I can't think of a coach. I can't think of a whatever who, if that were true, that would be the most boring halftime speeches. You know, Bill Belichick, do your job, you know, um, which only works because he had a, he had the goat down there coaching and encouraging during the, you know, during the field of play. How do you maintain that honesty, which I love, but still in one way, I'm not saying your personality has to be like mine, but capture people's imagination. 
here's how I capture your heart and your idea while we're being honest to have you flourish in this environment. Well, I think those last two points you wanted to wrap on are actually interrelated. Okay. And this whole concept that we've talked about before of consumption and wake mm. as an organization, if you really think about it, there's only so much an org can consume. It's mm. like a living entity. You and me, we go to a restaurant, we can only consume so much. Yeah. And in today's world, technology is offering us more to eat than ever before, yeah. but our ability to consume hasn't really changed. Right. And when we consume, we're all biological beings, we create a wake. Right. right? There's a there's an after effect, there's a byproduct, there's things that happen as a right. result, consequences. And so, you know, I think when you have that honest intention and you're trying to coach people and you're trying to build a team, you have to understand how people consume the message that you're trying to give. Mm. And to your point, if you are a hard ass, if you are a bill a checkian type of mentality, you have to understand a lot of people, many people will not respond or consume that message very well. Right. And so if you don't have the tact, if you don't have the grace, if you don't have some semblance of humanism, mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to get very far in your message. Mm -hmm. And so even though that's the core message, right, we've, we're talking because we want to be honest and give your listeners, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the, the cold hard facts of, of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But when it's put in practice, I think you have to have that realization that if I go to you with that sense, with that approach, and that's not the way you want to receive messages or can receive messages, I'm not going to be very effective for you. Mm -hmm. And so I think being able to say, hey, look, here's our mission. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I think you're about. Let me know what you think of that, mm -hmm. right? Let, because a lot of people want to feel included. And mm -hmm. so knowing that you go with that message, it's not a different message, but you present it in a way that the person can consume because you should understand that if you go with one way or a way that you think is the most optimal and efficient and mm -hmm. just get the message across, boring, all mm -hmm. that, the wake or the consequence from that is you're probably going to upset the person. Mm -hmm. They're probably not going to listen. They're mm -hmm. going to check out. And before you can deliver whatever profound message you have, they're out the door. Yeah. And so understanding that when someone consumes something, when a decision is made, there are repercussions. Nothing is done in a vacuum, mm -hmm. right? I can't just sit here and tell you these nuggets of leadership and then expect things to happen the way I, I expect, right? There is mm -hmm. a wake. There's a way people react to it. There are messages and, and reminders that they're left with and mm -hmm. that controls and demonstrates itself in what they do and how they respond to you. And so I think you have to understand all that. And that's, what, that's part of what makes people good leaders. And that's mm -hmm. the difficult part. And frankly, not everyone, I think, understands that to the point where they can utilize it the best. I, I agree. I, I think sometimes, at least early in my career, you know, you think you're Patton or you think you're Bill Belichick. You think you're, you know, one of these, um, a, a leader that probably was, you know, what was pr pretty direct, J just do your job one way or the other, however that's resonated over history. And certainly the situation could dictate um, uh um, the differences between it. But I, I think for sure now it is, for most leaders, it is absolutely be honest. It is absolutely live without pretense. Be clear. I loved what you said earlier. These are the, th here's the spectrum of things that we're trying to get done. These are the two or three I've resolved and we're not reevaluating. We're not reimagining certain products or services. We're not reimagining how we go about doing things. And in a way that gives you freedom, it gives freedom to your employees because they're not trying to be all things in every way. You know, look, I've given you these guardrails and some people will see that as restrictive. It's actually freeing. You don't have to worry about that. Here's what you get to worry about. Right. These few things become world-class at those. Right. And it's because you're telling people don't spin your wheels on this stuff. I'm trying to be honest and save you from saying, you know, why, why won't this change or it's because I've told you this is these are kind of the right the the, the immutable facts right the right. guardrails that we're just not choose we're choosing to not change those right now so right. you got to work within those constraints right well Grant um, we have filled up our time thank you for coming by today if people want to learn more about you where can they find you at uh, so uh, obviously on all the typical professional media channels you know LinkedIn um, I also do host uh, my own uh, 
platform, if you will, on, on the web called Executive Points of View. Oh, uh, so my friend Joe Marikin and I have started that. We talk about a lot of these types of topics. Okay. Um, they're little bite-sized vignettes, if you will, on some leadership and executive uh, discussion points. And we'd love if people would hear that. And uh, we're definitely on a future episode of Executive Points of View. We'll mention you know, your podcast okay. and, and the great work you're doing here. So I thank you, Dave, and the QTS team. Our great pleasure. And we'll make sure we include all those links down below where people can follow you and check you out. Great, Chief. Thanks for coming in today. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. And if you've enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, comment, and share. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. See you, everybody.